0: Good morning, Cross point Good, Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Kids, you can be released, and as the children are making their way out, if you would turn with me to Psalm chapter 63. Now, as you're turning there, I kind of want to let you know of two quick announcements. The first is... Today, after the service, we're going to be having our partners' meeting. Now this is a time for us to update you on kind of where we've been and where we're going heading into the new year. Um, If you're not a partner, you're still welcome to kind of join us. This is… Think of it as a meeting in a living room with the family. This is our time. You're welcome to sit in and listen to that also. But what we're going to do is after the service, we're going to take a 10-minute break so that you can go get your children go to the bathroom, grab another cup of coffee, and then we'll meet back in here. We're going to try to keep that to the 30 minutes right after the service. The other thing I want to let you know of is starting next week, we're going to begin a series through Paul's letter to the Philippians. This is an incredible book that that I'm looking forward to because it really looks at the example of Christ. And it says in the same way, like to have the same attitude as that of Christ, it's going to lay that out and say what that means, the joy that we can have in Christ in the midst of suffering, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of our relationships, in all of life that we would be able to walk and have, and as we're going to even hear part of today, in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our suffering, we can have a deep and resounding joy in Christ. So we'll be going through that together. And one thing to kind of help with that, that, I want to encourage you to pick up on your way out is we have the scripture journals for that. So if you're not familiar with these, these are, it's going to have the text of Philippians on one side and then on the other, it has a place to take notes. So I would encourage you I, for a second, I thought it was blank. I was like, I got nervous. I opened up to the wrong page. So it's going to have the text on one side and then it's blank on the other. You can use this in your own personal time of reflection. There's times I don't always like to mark up my nice Bible, but these are meant to be marked up and to, to make notes, to circle key words, to journal your thoughts as you're praying and spending time with God. And so I would encourage you to pick up one of these on your, your way out this morning. So for this morning, last week I started by asking the question, do you desire intimacy with God? And and, and we acknowledge that this was both an, an invitation that God offers us, and this is inviting, but it's also costly in that. And we were looking at, okay, what does this mean. We looked at in Matthew 6 where God invites us not just to perform, not just to stand up and try to, to entertain, to impress anybody, but he invited us to go into the privacy of our own room, to shut the door, and to be with him. To have this relationship where we can pour out our hearts, where he knows our words before we even say them. He was inviting us into that space. That prayer is neither a performance, nor is it a persuasion to convince God to do something, but prayer is a means of intimacy with God. But here's what I've been reflecting on this week. What about the person who desires a deeper relationship with God? Like you hear that invitation, you're like, yes, I want that. I, I long for that, but I find myself struggling. I enter into that private space and I don't experience that intimacy. I don't hear from God. I don't feel close to Him. Now what? How do you pray? How do you pray for that which God promises but is not your experience? Think about that for a moment. God promises intimacy. And you enter that space expecting to receive that promise, and then it's not your reality? What do you do then? God promises intimacy, closeness to be present, but that's not always what we experience. The text we're going to read from today in Psalm 63 is a very similar situation. If you look at at Psalm 63 right under the title, some of your Bibles may have a note that reads something about a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah here's the thing. God told this man named David that he was going to be king. Right? He was going to be king. This was the promise. Samuel anointed David. The Holy Spirit fell on David in that moment. But David wasn't king. Saul was. And so, The day passed and David wasn't king. And a week passed and David wasn't king. And a month passed and David wasn't king. A year passed, David still wasn't king. Five years. Ten years. Saul now wants to kill David. Fifteen years. Twenty years, David is not king. But God said he was going to be. But instead of sitting on some cushion on a throne as king over a kingdom, he's hiding in in, in a cave. Clinging to a God who promised something that is not his reality. Do you see the similarity? I want us to hear the words of David this morning. Of his prayer to be an example for us when we find ourselves in a spiritual wilderness. David was in a physical wilderness, but when we find ourselves in in the spiritual wilderness where it's like, okay, God, you said these things, but I'm not experiencing them. What then? How do we pray when that's our situation? So I want to invite you, stand with me. I want to pray to prepare our hearts for hearing God's word, and then I'll be reading the first eight (coughs) verses of chapter 63 together. Lord, we need to hear from you this morning. I've been here. As David was in the wilderness, I felt like I've wandered through my own wilderness before, and I've cried out, God. And I know that there's people here this morning who feel the same thing, who long for intimacy. They hear the invitation, and yet they do not feel the reality of it. And what then, Lord, would you speak Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, God? What my words cannot do, what persuasion cannot accomplish, but what is possible by the power of the Holy Spirit at work among us. Lord, there is a reality to these words this morning. So, Lord, we come in deep desperation and dependence to see you. And in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 63, beginning in verse 1. God, you are my God. I, I eagerly seek you. I, I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. So, so I gaze on you in the sanctuary to, to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will bless you as long as I live. At at your name, I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I think of you, as I lie on my bed, I meditate on you during the night watches. Because you are my helper, I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. I follow close to you Your right hand holds on to me. This is God's word. You can be seated. I think verse 1 describes our situation beautifully. Oh, God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. See, we can read those words. And and when when I was young, I used to hear those words, and I was like, man, this person is, is passionately and energetically seeking after God as a deer pants for water, so my soul longs after you. I mean, this is a person who is excitedly following after God. That's how I used to think when I read this passage. But as life goes on, what I have found is these words have continued to echo in my own experience that that's not really the heart that's being described in David at this moment. Look Look at it again. God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. It means seeking, searching for something that you do not presently possess. There is a, a longing for something that is not presently being experienced. I search for you. I long for you. I'm seeking you. It's in that question, do you desire intimacy with God? Is there's this part of you as I do desire that. But I'm seeking it because it's not my reality. I'm not experiencing it, but I long for it. Have you ever been there? Like, does this resonate at all? Have you ever been at a place where you're like, I hear the promises of God, but none of it's my reality. What do I do with this? And you hear the cries of David, my soul, my soul is thirsty. I'm like a marathoner who's been running and running and I've fallen to the side of the road and I'm dehydrated and my muscles are seizing and I'm reaching out for a glass of water. Please, just give me something to drink. That's very different than the idea of someone who's just energetically and passionately seeking God. This is a desperation. This is my soul. Deep within, I'm thirsting, I'm dehydrated, I'm, I'm fainting. Do you hear the plea? In the tone, in, in the voice, my soul is thirsting. My body, my body is weak, I'm tired, God. like I've prayed this way. Like, my soul is dry. I feel like I'm in a spiritual wilderness. My body is weak. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I just want to take a nap. David is not seated on the comfort of a throne that has been promised to him. He is hiding in a cave, fearing for his own life. Thank God, I'm tired. I thirst for you. I'm seeking you. But are you here in the cave? Are you here in the wilderness? I live in a spiritual desert. This land is dry. It's desolate. It's it's without water. There's no hope for me outside this cave, God. I'm here. I'm here now, seeking God, my God. But there's nothing out there for me. In a dry soul, there's nothing out there. The land is dry, it's desolate, it's barren. There's no water out there. Where else can I turn but to God? This is the realization of our moment, of our condition. So what do we do then? I believe this is some of you today. As I've prayed for us, the message of God's invitation for intimacy, I think, can often be received with doubt and condemnation. Because you hear it and you're like, that's beautiful, that's wonderful, I've tried it, it didn't work. And then it leads to doubt, like maybe God isn't trustworthy, maybe God doesn't keep his promises. Maybe after a year, I should just give up, or a decade, I should just give up. David, for 20 years, did not yet receive the fruition of what God said was going to happen. And so it can lead to to doubt of God and his trustworthiness, or it can lead to condemnation. Well, maybe this is true for other people, but it's not true for me. Maybe I'm not worthy. Maybe I'm doing something wrong right? Like we've been there. How will we respond in that moment? Because this is where I think David's prayer is such a beautiful example for us. God, you're my God. Earnestly, I'm going to seek you. And so in verse two, he says, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power in glory. In our moment of a spiritual desert, who do you look for? Who do you seek? Do you seek God? Do you seek comfort? Do you seek distraction? Who do you seek in the moment of your spiritual desperation? Because sometimes, I heard someone recently say, you know, the answer isn't difficult but it's still hard to do. That's a true statement, isn't it? Like we know, we know that our satisfaction comes in God. That doesn't make it any easier to go to Him than to just binge on Netflix. Who do you go to? Who do you seek? Oh God, you are my God, I seek you. And where? Where do we seek him? Because sometimes I fear that we seek him in YouTube videos and we seek him in podcasts and we seek him in somebody else's sermons or we seek him in our own imaginations. We formulate a picture of God based on our feelings and it defines the character of God. We define God based on our experiences and we allow that to shape our faith that we will create a false God in our minds that you will either choose to bow to or reject. But regardless, it is a figment of your imagination unless it is rooted in his sanctuary, in his word allowing God to say who he is, allowing God to say what his character is like, what he has done and what he has not done. Unless we allow his word to determine what is true of him, it is only a figment of our imaginations. Benjamin Warfield says, he who begins by seeking God within himself may end by confusing himself with God. We might say, yes, I'm seeking God, but how are you seeking God? This is what the psalmist, what David makes so clear. I'm seeking God in his sanctuary. I'm seeking God in his home where he is, what he says about himself. Not what I think of God, not what you think of God, but what God says of himself. That's what I need to see. I don't need to see somebody's opinion of what they think God is. I need to see God. And I need to see not just his promises fulfilled. I need to see his power. I need to see his strength. I need to see his glory. That's what I need to see. David isn't in the cave saying, God, where's my throne? Where's my kingdom? You made promises and you're not keeping them. He's saying, God, I want to see your face. I'm not just seeking the things that you promised. I'm not just seeking the things you're going to do for me. I I just don't want this. I'm not asking for the situation to change. I'm not asking for a better cave to hide in next time. I need to see your face. Have you been there? Where all you can pray is help. God, help. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see your strength, the true nature of your character. I want to see your glory. I want to see your holiness. I, I want to see you because that's what's going to satisfy. That's what's going to satisfy my thirsty soul. That's what's going to give me strength when I feel weak. David is in despair to know and to see God for who he really is. This is the invitation for intimacy. In this moment, in this desperation, it sometimes highlights the predicament of our own situation, our own condition. And we say, I don't experience that. Do we just call that normal? Do we say, my soul is thirsty, I'm weak, I'm tired, yeah, he invites us to intimacy, but it'll never happen, so you just give up. What do we do in that moment? David looked to God. He cried out to God, not just for circumstances to change, but to see the face of God. In the reality. Of God's sanctuary David saw his true nature his power in the strength of God and here's what happens there's three statements I I kind of want to highlight for us this morning there's so much in this passage but there's three times that, that that I could discern where it kind of says because God I will think about that for a moment he's sitting in the cave Promises unfulfilled for nearly two decades crying out to God thirsty and then all of a sudden he says because God because of what I've seen of who God is in his sanctuary according to his word I will it transforms it changes something in him while he's still in the wilderness before he's seated on a throne before the kingdom is realized David is transformed this is what I need This is what we need. The first one is this. Look at verse 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Now think about what's happening here. He's crying out, seeking God, and he's saying, what I see and what I know because of what you say is true, not because I'm experiencing it, not because my feelings say it's true, but because you say it's true, because of your steadfast love, it's better than life. David was alone. He's hiding in a cave, no friends, no, no, no servants, no kingdom. He hasn't experienced the, the, the results, the fruition of God's promises yet. But it did not mean that God had abandoned him. Did you hear that? Even though your situation may say to you that God has abandoned you, the steadfast love of the Lord says that he has not abandoned you, that it is steadfast, that he is present. And David, he hears this. And he's like, God is present. His steadfast love, it's better than life. It's better than life that if I were to go outside this cave and, and Saul wasn't to kill him, it is better that I rest and see God's steadfast love than live another day. That is sweeter to my soul than seeing the sun rise tomorrow. Something changed. Something changed, not in David's circumstances, but in David's heart. Something changed. And now... It says, "His lips praise him from the cave, from the wilderness. He's worshiping. Warren Weersby, pastor and author, says this: "God doesn't give us joy instead of sorrow, nor does he give us joy in spite of sorrow, but joy in the midst of sorrow. It is not substitution but transformation. Think about this. I've talked to a couple this morning, and and, and I've been saying, like, when you're a child, sometimes we have these singular emotions, right? Like, like we're all happy. We're all sad. Like, children, we swing from one emotion to the other. But on the other side, as you become older, I find myself holding a dichotomy of of deep contrast between conflicting emotions. As I grieve the the, the loss of, of a loved one, and I celebrate the life of a grandchild, Like These in my mind are two completely separate emotions, and I have both. It's not that one replaces the other. It's not, oh, don't feel this, feel that. God gives us joy not instead, not to substitute our sorrow, not in spite of sorrow, but in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our suffering, God gives us joy. It is not substitution of, emo- of emotion. It is transformation of the heart. David's situation is no different. And yet, David's worshiping. That is something only God can do when we behold him. Because God is our helper, I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. In verse 7. Do you ever feel helpless, like oh, just overwhelmed? It's like just one more thing. Everything in our house has broken recently. While I was gone, the refrigerator broke. My motorcycle stopped working. Alternator on the Mazda. The refrigerator. The freezer. The my, I don't even know if I've listed it all. Like it, it was a lot. Like it all just started to break, and you just feel like it's overwhelming. Like one more thing. But sometimes it's not just things breaking, but it's relationships, it's brokenness that we can just feel helpless because of our surroundings, because of the, their circumstances. I think of, in my mind, like the image I have is, is when you get news that, that a hurricane's approaching, right? And you feel the winds begin to pick up. And if I were to step outside my house and stand there and be like, okay, wind, stop. You would think I was a fool. Because the wind's just going to blow right around me. I have no control over the wind. I can't stand there and make it stop. So, what do we do? We board up our windows, we hunker down inside, and we pray and hope for the best. That's kind of how you weather the hurricane. Because we feel helpless that we cannot control the wind. When it says God is our helper, there's a beautiful language here that when we're in despair, when it feels like our world is overwhelming, when it feels like we are helpless, it says God is our helper. And so, so we will hide, we will rejoice in the shadow of his wing. So when you feel helpless, when it feels like the world around you is a desolate, dry place and there's no water out there and I can't do anything to stop these circumstances from happening, I can't change the reality I'm presently in, what then should I do? And it says God is the one who puts his arm around us, like boarding up your windows and hunkering down inside. And it says, and I'm going to tuck myself in close under the protection of his arms and I'm gonna rejoice because I'm safe. I'm safe here. It doesn't mean everything's perfect, but I'm safe here. I'm not helpless because God is my helper. Like this is what I want from my own heart. Because too often we get frantic and we try to control the situation and we try to make everything okay and we try to say, well, maybe if I do this and maybe if I do that and, and, and we start to like brainstorm every possibility and every contingency until we come to the realization, I have no control. It's like standing in the face of a hurricane holding my hands out, I have no control. But I can tuck myself in the arms of God and find rest in him and trust in him as my helper. This is what David saw in God. When he beheld not just the promises of God, but the face of God, he saw in him someone who was trustworthy, someone whose love is steadfast, someone who helps him in circumstances that he has no control over. And he's like, and I'll be safe here. Because God holds on to me, my soul clings, that I'll follow him. Psalm 63, verse 8, my soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. When the darkness of despair wraps itself around you, in whispers, the cold lies that you are alone, that you are worthless, that you are are helpless let psalm 63 be your guide praying as you call out to god seeking maybe that which is not your present reality but knowing it is true seeking his face that god's love is steadfast that he is protecting that he is holding on to you when it seems like you're falling, when it seems like you're, you're wondering loss, he is upholding you with his right hand. I, my mind keeps coming back to a couple weeks ago when, when Justin was giving that illustration of walking across the street with his boys. Do you remember that? And, and you hold the hand of your child, and, and sometimes like the child starts to think they're too cool. Right? Like, I got this. I can, I can do this on my own. But in reality, we can't do it on our own. And so we have this image in our mind of a child reaching up to to, to the Father's hand, holding on. And oh no, if I let go, maybe I'll get lost. Maybe I'll be forgotten. Maybe I'll be abandoned here. Maybe you see or don't see all the dangers that are around you. And it's this idea that oh, we have to cling to God. But all the while, we realize that He's the one holding on to us, He's the one upholding us. And so our soul clings to him. Staying close by his side. And because he's holding on to me, my soul can cling to him. That I can follow him because he's holding on to me. That's what David saw in this moment. This is my prayer. My prayer for us, this this picture, when I think of this year, when I think about where we're at, when I think about my own heart, like, here's the thing. As, as a pastor, as a leader, sometimes I feel like I need to have all the answers. Like the world would say that, that it is good and right for the pastor to be able to say, okay, church, here's the next mountain we're going to take and we have some big task that we're going to go and we're going to achieve and we're going to take this city for Jesus. Because that's what he needs from us. Or so we think. And and I feel inadequate for that. I can feel like I'm not a good leader. The conviction I have, and that has been reinforced of recent, is actually what I'm called to, is to hold our Father's hand. Because He has a hold of me. And he has a hold of us. And I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what joys await us. I don't know what struggles await us. But I know the Bible says that he's the shepherd and he's the head of his church. And he knows where we're going. And his love is steadfast. And he's our helper. And he's holding on to us. And so the best thing I can do as a leader is to hold tightly to his hand and reach out my hand and say, would you join? Would you follow? Because he's got us. Because he's holding on. That's the biblical picture, I believe, of what a leader and a shepherd is supposed to be. I don't have all the answers. He does. He does. I don't know what the future holds, but he does. I don't know what great victories he has for us. I don't know where he's leading us, but I want to be faithful that when he steps out, and I think it might be dangerous, that I take that step with him. And when he says, wait, right here, that I don't run ahead into traffic, but I wait. Because he holds on to us, we follow him. That's what we're called to as a church. That's what we're called to individually and corporately. But doubts can set in and condemnation can set in. But to whom will we look? I pray and I invite us let us fix our eyes on Christ. He is worthy. He is worthy. And we can find shelter in his embrace. Let's pray.